Good evening, everybody, again. Uh, my name is Tom. If you didn't pick that up at the beginning, I'm one of the curates here at Holy Trinity. And can I just say, if you're going home to watch the second half of the football, this will be a spoiler-free zone. I'm not going to say anything about it. Um, <clears throat> so fear not. Um, we are in our summer series, of, which is called exactly that, Not So Superheroes. Last week, we looked at Moses. But because we are thinking about heroes... Tonight, I wanted to begin by hearing from someone who knows all about heroes. Someone who has written what I think is the definitive work on heroes from the last century. So I'm going to play a video. We need to sound up from the beginning, and you'll see exactly what I mean. It's going to speak for itself. That's quite something, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> music videos have definitely evolved a bit since 1984. In case you're wondering what that was, I am not old enough to remember that being released, just to be clear. In, ca <laughs> in case you're wondering what that was all about, that was um, the Welsh pop singer Bonnie Tyler um, with her huge hit, Holding Out for a Hero, what we now call power ballads, but probably wasn't known by that at that point. Even if, um, if you've never heard of her, you probably know the song. It was in Shrek 2, if you've ever seen Shrek 2. It's all over. It features in loads of kind of adverts and other things like that. But as you listen to it, I wonder what you were thinking, apart from, who are those creepy cowboys? <laughs> and how much did it cost to film from a helicopter in the Grand Canyon? Because that's what I thought. But if, if you listen to any of the words, it's really interesting. Let me just read out a few of them. She sings, where have all the good men gone and where are all the gods? Where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night, I toss and turn. I dream of what I need. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the morning light. He's got to be sure and it's got to be soon and he's got to be larger than life. I don't know about you, but that description makes me feel a little bit inadequate. <laughs> it, it makes me think about people like, I don't know, Chris Hemsworth as Thor. It makes me think of Cristiano Ronaldo, um, the footballer. Now, somebody's shaking their head at the back. I had this at the 11.30 as well. Apparently, he's not universally viewed as a hero. That's fine. 
Or, okay, we can all agree on this, Alessia Russo. Did anybody see her amazing back heel goal in the week? It was unbelievable. Like, these kind of really heroic people, that's what this song makes me think of. So as I say, when I hear it, it makes me feel a little bit inadequate. I'm not a streetwise Hercules, um, and I'm definitely not larger than life. I wonder if you ever feel inadequate. Do you feel like the world wants those kind of people? People who are strong and tough and heroic, and you are none of those things. Do you compare yourself to the people around you and think that you're not enough? If that's the case, you're not alone, because the message that we get all around us, not just the music videos, but the movies on Instagram, everything that we see, it's all about people doing superhuman things. It's about people being super popular, super wealthy, super influencers. People like Bonnie Tyler saying that if you're not a superhero, then she's not interested. Well, tonight I want to suggest that this kind of thinking is based on a lie that is sold to us by our culture. And if we take some time to uncover the truth tonight, then there'll be no need to compare ourselves to these impossible ideals. And we can be secure in who we are. So as we look at the story of Gideon together, let me explain why I think that's true. We joined the story about 200 years after last week. So we looked at Moses last week. Um, 200 years later, the Israelites um, with Moses entered the promised land. I don't know if you remember. He used Moses to deliver them from slavery in Egypt and he led them into the promised land. It was a land that was good. It was full of milk and honey and crops and livestock and fertile plains and everything that God's people could ever possibly need. The problem is that in that 200 years between Moses and Gideon, Israelites start to mess up a bit, and that's a little bit of an understatement. You see, over time, they forget that actually it was God that delivered them out of slavery. It was God that parted the Red Sea. It was God that took them through the desert. And they convince themselves, actually, it was all about them. It was kind of down to their skill and strength. And they stop listening to God, and they start worshipping the pagan gods that their neighbouring, the people around them, worshipped. So just when things should be going really well for Israel, it's actually the exact opposite. I don't know if you picked it up in the text that we heard read. We joined it right at the beginning. It says that Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. The tribe of Midian was making Israel live in a permanent state of terror. They were invading the land like a drop of a hat, a moment's notice, no warning. And they were sweeping through and they were just ravaging it completely every year for seven years. Just pause for a minute to imagine what it would be like for your whole livelihood just to be completely obliterated in a moment. Imagine planting crops and spending months tending them only for them just to be burnt up in just a few minutes. Imagine rearing animals for years only for them to be suddenly killed and stolen. So it's not surprising, is it then, that this creates a state of fear in Israel. We read in verse 2 that, I don't know if you picked it up, the people had gone into the mountains to live in caves and like little you know, cracks in a rock, basically. They were kind of pushed into this primitive existence because they were so terrified of these invaders. And after seven years of this, they get desperate. They are overwhelmed by their circumstances 
and they have their kind of Bonnie Tyler moment. She could literally have written this song for them. They cry out to God, we need a hero. Send someone to save us and do it quickly. And of course, as always, God answers. He sends the hero, the streetwise Hercules, the white knight on the fiery horse, or maybe not, maybe not, because look at where we find Gideon when we meet him in this text. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why on earth does it matter at all what Gideon was up to? He could have been having a bath. He could have been watching Love Island. It's completely irrelevant. I don't think he would have been watching Love Island, just for the record. But the fact that the author is telling us this stuff means that the detail matters. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Apparently, I didn't know anything about this, but threshing wheat, it's a thing you had to do in order to eat, okay? So it was the process, when you cut the wheat out of the field, it was the process, threshing it was the process of taking the grain out of the, the wheat and letting the rest of it, kind of the useless bit, disappear so that you could use the grain to, to make flour, to grind into flour, to make bread, and that was how you ate, obviously. Have you heard of the phrase, to sort the wheat from the chaff? Yeah? That's exactly where this comes from. You would basically, the way it worked is you would use animals to kind of churn up the wheat and it would fly up into the air and the wind would come and blow away the chaff, which is the useless bit around the wheat, and the, the grain would fall to the ground and then you'd sweep up the grain and use it to make flour. And to do this, you had to use a special place called a threshing floor. And it's kind of looked like that. It's a bit of a modern example of it. <clears throat> But um, it was a big flat area where you could kind of, you could sweep up the grain easily. And crucially, because the whole process relied on the wind, can you see there, they were always in exposed areas, like on top of the mountains or hillsides, where the wind could kind of whip through and do the work for you. And because of that, they were visible for miles around. So the fact that Gideon is using a wine press to thresh his wheat tells us something. A wine press was basically the opposite of a threshing floor. It was kind of like a well that was sunk into the ground. It's not a great picture there. It probably would have even had a roof on it. Um, and basically, you trod the grapes in, the, in that big well, and the, and the wine kind of trickled out into a different kind of container. Wine presses weren't exposed. They were um, cut into the ground. They were hidden. But they would have been completely impractical for threshing wheat. So do you see, this is beginning to paint a picture, isn't it? This is telling us something about what is going on with Gideon. Here we have Gideon, the supposed hero of our story, so afraid of the Midianites that he's hiding in a wine press trying to thresh wheat. He's so terrified of being seen by the enemy that he's going to any length to hide. It's not exactly Bonnie Tyler's larger-than-life hero, is it, ready to smack down the enemy? It's not what we think of. So then the angel turns up, and what might we expect 
the angel to do here. Surely he's going to give Gideon some kind of special superpower, some kind of way to smite the enemy. You know, like Moses had his staff and he used his staff and he parted the Red Sea with his staff. Or maybe it's like, you remember Samson? I think we, I don't know if we're looking at Samson in this series, but you remember Samson with his super strength. God gave Samson super strength. Surely God is going to give Gideon something like that. Otherwise he's got no hope. So let's have a look at what happens When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's it. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. No superpower, no special staff. He can't fly. He can't spin webs or anything like that. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I mean, the absolute irony of it. Mighty warrior. There there was nothing mighty about what Gideon was doing. He, he must have felt like laughing. He must have felt like saying, mighty warrior, you must be joking. Look at me, I'm hiding my food in a bucket because I'm so afraid. So Gideon pushes back with a, what I think is a pretty blunt response. He says, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? Now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. End of. Conversation over. I need to get back to my threshing. Well, the thing about angels in the Bible is they can be quite persistent. This one doesn't get the hint, so he then says to Gideon, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And right here, I think, is the centre on the whole passage. Everything in this story hinges on how we understand this short sentence. Go in the strength you have. How we respond to this scripture depends entirely on how we understand those words that the angel spoke to Gideon. We've got a couple of choices. One, one choice we have is how we understand this is to go down the, down the Gideon route and Gideon makes it all about him. I don't know if you picked it up in verse 15. He says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. How can God use me? I'm not a hero. I'm the least clever in my class. I'm the worst football player in my year. I'm the least charismatic person in my office. No one would listen to anything I have to say. So-and-so is way more popular than me. Way more good-looking, way more intelligent. And that route, the Gideon route, it's quite appealing to us, actually, if we put ourselves in in his shoes, because it kind of gets us off the hook, doesn't it? We're never going to be good enough, so what's the point? But if we surrender to that logic, then we just buy into that kind of Bonnie Tyler lie that the world needs heroes, and that couldn't possibly be us. So here's the good news tonight. We have another choice about how we hear this. We can choose to remember who the real hero of the story is. 
Because the real hero is the one who created the world, but made himself a human being so he could come and rescue us. The real hero isn't a white knight on a horse. He's a man giving himself up to die on a cross. The real hero is the one who rose from the dead to defeat sin, to defeat death, to defeat the devil. The real hero is Jesus Christ, who has already won the victory for us. And that's what the angel is trying to show Gideon here. He's saying, Gideon, you've missed the point. You're wallowing in your fear when God has already given you everything you need. He's brought you into the promised land. He's given you land and life and food and drink. It doesn't matter that you think you're not important, that no one will listen to you, that somebody else would do a much better job. You just need to remember to turn to God and trust him and he will use you. As we mentioned earlier, I've just got a new job in, um, <clears throat> in Leatherhead, uh, which is obviously brilliant. I'm super excited, obviously sad to leave here, but super excited about it. But I remember um, a year or so ago when I started the kind of job search, feeling pretty despondent about it all. I got caught in a mindset of, of feeling pretty insignificant. I convinced myself that there was nothing out there for me that God didn't really see me, that there were lots of people who were better suited to the kind of jobs that I was interested in. I was overwhelmed by my circumstances. And I remember having a conversation with Megan, my wife, and um, she said to me, do you know what, you're thinking about this the wrong way? It's not about what you think you're good enough for. It's about what God wants to use you for. God didn't want me to give up, you know, to hide in my wine press. Just try and make something happen by, you know, being the best version of my, myself and projecting an image that wasn't true. He wanted me to trust him and to ask him what he wanted me to do. When the angel told Gideon, go in the strength you have, Gideon heard mockery and condemnation. Cowardly Gideon, hiding in a winepress, the weakest in his family and the least important in his clan. But he misunderstood the angel's message. God didn't want Gideon to be a superhero. He just wanted him to be obedient. You see, go in the strength you have means so much more. The strength you have is not Gideon's strength or Tom's strength. The strength you have is God's strength. And he has already rescued you. He is the hero of the story, not you. I love this reminder from Mike Pilavachi, the, the lead pastor of Soul Survivor Church. He writes, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Leah was ugly, Joseph was abused, Moses had a stutter, Gideon was afraid, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah was too young, David was an adulterer and a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Job went bankrupt, Peter denied Jesus, Zacchaeus was too small, Paul murdered Christians and Lazarus was dead. If God can use a dead man, 
then he can use you. Ain't that the truth? You see, it's okay to recognize that we don't have the strength. We don't have the charisma. We don't have the power to do anything. As long as we remember the one who does. Jesus is the hero, not me, not you. Praise God. He's already achieved the victory. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, he wants to work out his purposes in you today. And he doesn't want you to be a superhero. He just wants you to be obedient. Now, this doesn't mean that we always get the thing that we want, you know, the promotion or at work or the 100,000 like Instagram followers or even like a completely healthy body all of the time. Let's be realistic. This isn't about health and wealth. That's not the gospel we preach. But it does mean that Jesus is Lord in your circumstances that whatever your situation, by his mighty power, he wants to use you for his purposes and his glory. So as I finish tonight, I want to encourage you. Don't be like the Israelites, feeling inadequate, holding out for a hero when the true hero has already come. Don't be like Gideon, hiding in your wine press saying that God can't use you because you're not as clever or strong or good-looking as somebody else. Don't miss where he is calling you to step up, to turn to him, to trust in him. He's not looking for you to be a superhero. He just is looking for you to be obedient. Whatever your circumstances, don't be overwhelmed. God wants to use you. So tonight, in Jesus, go in the strength you have. Amen.